This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Uh, right now, we're going to have a conversation, though, that uh, I'm really interested in. Uh, uh, this is, you know, being in the information business, this is... This is a realm that uh, I find myself in sometimes, uh, and I, I know how painful it can be. I don't know how else to describe it. So our next guest uh, has my undying respect and admiration because Tim Caulfield, um, a University of Alberta professor in health law and policy and Canada research chair in health law and policy and a well-known author, and he's done Netflix specials and all the rest, has spent so much time in this realm. Uh, first of all, Tim, I don't know how you do it. It is exhausting and the vitriol that you face must be just through the roof because people are really, really committed to whatever it is they're, you know, they're, they've bought into, right? I mean, it's part of their personality. Yeah, it, it, it is exhausting. You're in the media, so you get probably more than I do, but it's exhausting. <laughs> People are so committed to their position, and uh, they seem to have a lot of time <laughs> to push out to push out the the, the noise. But it, but it is exhausting. And and the other thing is, it has an impact. Unfortunately, you know, they seem like they're these fringe views, and but we know research tells us that the ranting. Unfortunately, it matters. Yeah, it does. And we'll get into sort of the ways that we can try and work to, to combat that. And I don't know if there are any, but let's start with um, the latest uh, information that you just put out this week, which is really interesting to me. Um, we're talking about monkeypox and the conspiracy theories that emerge surrounding monkeypox. And I guess the first thing that struck me is it's within seconds, right? As soon as monkeypox becomes a news story, within seconds, there are conspiracy theories swirling around it, right? Yeah, it, it sounds like you're exaggerating and that's hyperbole, but you're not. You're not. It, that's one of the things we found in our study, and you know, coincidentally, another study came out right around the same time last week. Same conclusion. You know, really, this the misinformation spreads so so fast. It's like they're teed up. You know, like yeah, they're yeah. ready to go. And so in our study, uh, we used an announcement by the World Health Organization sort of as the starting point, you know, a major announcement about monkeypox, sort of as the starting point. And then we monitored uh, TikTok for uh, approximately a day uh, to see what kind of conspiracy theories emerged. And holy cow, it was just instantaneous. And the other thing that's really important to recognize, you know, TikTok, 2 billion users around the world. It's become this social media platform juggernaut. Uh, and in just that brief amount of time that we analyzed these conspiracy theories, 1.5 million views. Boy. So, yeah, it's, it's just incredible. The reach, the rage... Uh, Incredible. And you know what? Like you say, it seems like they're teed up. I think in a lot of ways they are, Tim, because the, the other thing you talk about is there's an alarming lack of creativity here. I mean, we're, we're still talking about Bill Gates. I mean, there's a theme and they will f make any, any event that happens anywhere in the world fit the prescribed th themes that we know are there. Bill Gates, you mentioned World Health Organization. Bad place to start, Tim. You know, that's a bad place <laughs> to start. But I mean, they're, they're all the same, right? You're exactly right about that. These themes continued, right? And so I think this goes to something that you said at the, off the top. You know, people have these 
pre- preconceived notions, they have this identity, they have these things they feel very passionate about, and as soon as they, an event happens that provides them with an opportunity to rage about those themes, they do exactly that. And often, for some reason, Shay, they're sitting in a car screaming at their phone. <laughs> I don't know. I swear to God, <laughs> a third of the videos I looked at, they were individuals sitting in their car but perhaps that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> you know, you're right. I've seen the video. We've all seen the videos. I mean, they, they, and that's the thing. We've all seen them. That's the point. The spread of these things, um, it, it's astronomical. And, and it, why do you think, as someone who spent so much time dealing with this, why do you think every single catastrophe, calamity, event, I don't care what it is, needs to be fit into that box by the people who push this information? What, what's the end goal? Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, people often ask me because I've been studying this for you know for years and yeah. years and years. What's what's different now, right? And and I think and we I think we, we've talked about this before. It, it has become about ideology, right? Increasingly, right? It, you know, in the past, you know, people had these crazy ideas about things, conspiracy theories about the moon landing, or uh, but but it, now it's so much about about partisanship and ideology. And so I think that that is really fueling a lot of this. When you watch these videos, and I watch hundreds of them, <laughs> um, you really got that sense, right, that this was part of their broad worldview, and uh, they're going to use this monkeypox event as an opportunity to rant about it. Um, and that happens again and again and again. Uh, it happened with uh, with the Ukraine invasion, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That that became uh, an opportunity. And it's these same players, Shay. That's the interesting thing. It's the same players, and they're talking about biolabs in Ukraine and how you know, it really is a conspiracy to create a new COVID and, and Russia's the good guys. You know, I heard it again and again and again, and uh, I'm sure the next world event will produce similar narratives. Correct me if I'm wrong. Doing what I do and being a guy who's been um, dispensing information for 30 years and being in this realm, th- what I've seen emerge is part of the new media ecosystem that we live in. For a lot of the people that are involved in this stuff, their primary job is to say that people like me are lying and obfuscating and working with some shadowy figures to keep them in the dark. So part of the job is to say everything that we do is a lie meant to manipulate, and you only should listen to us. So it really doesn't matter what the event is. They're going to come up with the counter-narrative to say, hey, listen, if you really want to know what's going on, you better listen to me. Is that part of it? I mean, just for their own personal gain? That is part of it, and there's really fascinating research that suggests that that, that exact kind of uh, process is, is is happening. There, you know, and we're really careful here. I don't want to overgeneralize, but there, you know, interesting research that talks about people who really embrace conspiracy theories more likely to to be a narcissist. Yeah, and and part of what's going on there is they like to feel unique. They like to think they have access to special knowledge that you don't have access yeah, to, yeah. and they're going to tell you about it, right? So that's that's I think an interesting an interesting trend. And, and and the other thing that we know is that those individuals that get their information from these sources are more likely to believe misinformation, more likely to spread misinformation. And those individuals that get their information from the the legacy news, people like you, less likely to. And oh, we have to be careful about correlation causation, but that really speaks to that echo chamber that you're kind of in, referring to, right? That this echo chamber that's out there. So, you know, where you get your information matters. Uh, and those that are pushing misinformation often have, you know, a, a particular agenda, and sometimes that agenda is fueled yeah. 
by, you know, their own worldview. And the event and the information that they're talking about really don't matter. It's like you say, it's furthering their own personal agenda. Um, now, you've spent a lot of time trying to combat this, and you think it can be done. Tell me how. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I like to be an optimist. <laughs> uh, and there is, But there, are, there is a lot of good news stories here. You know, the good news is we, we're starting to get more research on this and have a better sense of what works and what doesn't work to fight misinformation. And one of the things that we wanted to do with our study is highlight how you can use social media kind of as a tool to monitor what kind of themes are emerging so you can craft an engaging science-informed message that can counter it on the platforms. Let's let's go to where the misinformation resides, you know, that's on these social media platforms and counter it. And studies tell us it works. It may not feel like it works because there's, you know, you're holding back the tide, right? There's just so much bunk out there. But there is good evidence that it works. And we're starting to learn about things like pre-bunking, you know, like what we're doing yeah. right now, you know, warning people about the misinformation that's out there. That can make a big difference. Yeah, cr- teaching critical thinking skills, that can make a big difference. So there are tools that we can use, but we have to come at it from absolutely every direction. Here's the one that I have a hard time with. Uh, and okay, and it's on the text line right now from Lyle. It's not misinformation. It's more information that's available. It's not a conspiracy. Like, there's a lot of people where if you say that's misinformation, they'll say, well, who gets to decide what's misinformation? And I just say, well, it's, it's, it's real. It's reality. I mean, I mean, how do you, I'm sure you're asked that question or that's put back at you. Oh, that's just your narrative. It's not misinformation. It's just your information. How come you get to decide? What's the answer to that one, Tim? First of all, I think we need to off the top recognize that, you know, defining misinformation is challenging. I think it's going to becoming become more challenging in the future. But it's so, so important to highlight that what we're talking about right now, this isn't stuff on the margin, right? This isn't stuff that's, you know, there is a reasonable scientific debate going on. This is stuff that is clearly bunk. And unfortunately, unfortunately, there's been this really powerful narrative coming from those pushing misinformation uh, around the idea of freedom of expression, canceling, you know, um, silent, you're silencing me. And uh, that's not what's happening. We're, we're actually talking about the marketplace of ideas here, right, using good yep. information to counter the bunk. Um, and the stuff that we're referring to is clearly misinformation. And I think, you know, the Alex Jones verdict that came out last week was the yeah. last week. You know, that highlights there are lies and there's the truth. And what we're really talking about here, certainly in our study and what most regulators and, you know, most science communication people around the world are talking about, is clearly, clearly bunk. You know, there aren't microchips in the vaccines. Yeah. Um, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, and it seems so clear-cut. Uh, I appreciate the work you do, and I appreciate you joining us today, Tim. Thanks so much. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.